Hello and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, a summer special. I'm Jason Solomons and on this podcast it's all about love. I catch up with an old friend to discuss love letters and movie love. I only have to hear that soundtrack and something just quivers in here. It's just aching. It's an achingly beautiful film. My guest on this show is Jojo Moyes, the best-selling, multi-million-selling author, whose book, Last Letter from Your Lover, is now a major motion picture, starring Shailene Woodley and Felicity Jones. Jojo's Me Before You was also a hit film, so we delve into how she was involved in those adaptations and the films that have influenced her life and her novels. I'll talk to Jojo Moyes after I tell you if I've seen any good films lately. As you know, I'm just back from Cannes, so I saw a deluge of good films there. And make sure you listen to the two Cannes special podcasts that I've done for all that information about what's coming your way soon. I haven't been around much in the UK since to tell you about the latest releases, but I've caught up with some. And I must recommend The Most Beautiful Boy in the World. In 1970, Luchino Visconti went around the world to find the perfect beauty for the lead in his upcoming film, Death in Venice. Quel âge a-t-il? Il est très grand, hein? De taille, 15 centimes. Il est très beau. Il lui a enlevé son boulot. Il est grand, de plus. Il est svärmar av fladdermöss omkring en. Det var en levande mardröm. Det var som en liten maskot, kanske, att det var lite fint att vistas med dig. What a beautiful, sad film this is about Björn Andersson, who was the child star of Lucchino Visconti's Death in Venice and who's now living in a squalid flat in Stockholm. At least that's when the documentary starts. It follows him over five years. And it's a very thoughtful and sensitive documentary about show business, about beauty and art, about youth and sex and about a very sensitive and unusual man, Bjorn, with this huge mane of silver hair and a beard, as if he's trying to mask that once beautiful face that caused him so much grief after Visconti made him the object of so much desire, much of it unwelcome and predatory. You can find out more about the film and about Bjorn and his fascinating, if tainted, life in my piece about the film in The New European, in the paper and in the online edition. Or you could just go to the cinema and watch it. There's a lot of the Grand Hotel des Bains in Venice in it. And that once vital place haunts the Venice Film Festival every year. A grand ruin now sitting there on the Lido full of memories and very glamorous ghosts. Indeed, I hope to be heading there soon for that festival. And I'll think of it a bit differently after the most beautiful boy in the world. Now to Jojo Moyes, who I must confess I've known since we trained as journalists together at City University in the early 90s as postgraduates. She went on to a successful reporter career at The Independent. I think she was their uh, sort of uh, bursary scholarship girl, as I was at the Daily Express. And then... Jojo suddenly took off to become one of the world's most successful writers in sort of the early 2000s. Uh, she's an author now who's sold over 38 million copies of books such as Me Before You, Foreign Fruit, The Giver of Stars. She's a rare twice winner of the Romantic Novelist of the Year Award, including uh, with The Last Letter from Your Lover, which is what we're talking about today because it's now a movie directed by Augustine Frizzell and starring Shailene Woodley and Felicity Jones. 
Jones. It's a film which straddles two timelines. Felicity is a journalist investigating a trove of love letters that she's found in present-day London. And then there's the love story contained therein, which features the life of a 1960s London socialite, played by Shailene Woodley, uh, and it's about her torrid affair with a foreign correspondent. <laughs> what a lovely surprise. Sorry, I'm a little early. Would you rather I waited downstairs? No, don't be silly. Come in. I won't be long. I was just about to have a shave. Do I have time? Of course. Go ahead. Everything all right? Yes. Yes, fine. received a wire. Larry's back this evening. Just to return to London immediately. I see. What do you want? Although we're friends on social media, I haven't actually seen Jojo for many years and it was lovely to get the chance to do so uh, when offered it to talk to her about the last letter from your lover. Although we did it on Zoom, of course, we couldn't do it face to face. I began by asking Jojo Moyes if it wasn't odd to be making a film about love letters because, well, nobody writes them anymore, do they? No, well, that's partly the point. I was eavesdropping, as, uh, you know, all journalists tend to do. Yeah, and yeah, I was listening it. to some women in a bar trying to decipher a text message from a man, which basically only said later and X. And it just got me thinking about how we live in this age of all these different modes of communication, especially now. I mean, it's a long time since I originally wrote that book. Now we have even more. And yet people's meanings have never been less clear. And I was thinking about my mother's generation and my grandmother's generation. If you got a love letter, you knew pretty clearly what someone <laughs> meant. You know, yeah. nobody does that without meaning it. So it just got me thinking about how really, although we supposedly communicate better, I think we certainly don't communicate more clearly. And that, that gave me the idea for the two plots. What will become of us then? Will these great love stories, they'll just be sort of a trail of, uh, of emojis and aubergines? Exactly. Well, you're not exactly going to climb up the steps to your attic to retrieve a, a series of aubergine emojis. <laughs> Or some of the other ones, which are, I think are too rude to mention. Yeah. Um, I know it just I, I think it's so sad. And I didn't really realize that love letters weren't a thing anymore until I spoke to my cousin, who's 10 years younger than me. And this is back when I wrote the book. And she just said, oh, I've never had one. And I think our generation, and I know that you're roughly the same age as me, we were still just in the last tail end of, you know, getting a few. And I got a few, I suppose. Yeah. Not enough. Not enough. To yeah, make exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm might just seem more sure you were with them. But presumably yours were in immaculate shorthand, Jojo. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> T-line. T-line. Immaculately done. Uh, how, I mean, how's the, the film world? Because now this is your, is this your second film adaptation? 
Well, it's actually the second English language. There's been one in German as well. But um, it's been a really weird year for film as, as well. You know, everything kind of got upended. And I think streaming became kind of ever more powerful because we were all stuck at home. So for me, there's something really lovely about getting to go back to a big screen now. I think most movie theatres are pretty careful about social distancing mm. and, you know, making people feel safe. But for me, and I'm I'm sure for you as well, there's just nothing like the immersive experience of being in a huge dark room surrounded by people all feeling roughly the same thing. I mean, some things just translate better on screen and I feel like this film is one of them. How, how involved do you get in the, the, like the, the, the transition process from your book to, your, to the big screen? Well, this one, I didn't write the script, but that's partly because it's been kind of a decade in the making. And when this originally was adapted, I wasn't writing scripts at all. I was still in the stage of not thinking it was even part of my skill set. It may not still be part of my skill set. So the, the script was written by the time this came back around. And then once Shailene and Felicity Jones got involved, obviously things moved very fast. So then I became involved. I mean, I, I have an executive producer credit but I'd almost consider myself a consultant because Augustine and I just worked throughout the process just tweaking and and adjusting because things change as you know all the time in the process of filmmaking and I think I can be quite a useful presence in terms of just helping rewrite stuff or, did or you, so you wrote me before you you wrote that script yourself yes so yeah. where did you get those where did you get those skill sets from I learned yourself? on the job they asked me to do it I think because they felt that the book had a very particular tone that they wanted to maintain and I basically read loads of scripts and watched the films that the scripts were uh, came from and I kind of taught myself and I had a couple of very nice friends the director old Parker and and the writer Jonathan Harvey who I could send early drafts to and that explained to me all the ways in which I was going wrong. And the main thing I think I had to learn was to see through a camera because it's really interesting, you know, when you're writing, mm. uh, I remember one of the, the scenes Ol explained to me was right at the end uh, of Me Before You when Louise is reading a letter from Will and I translated it pretty faithfully from the book and he just said, where's the camera in all this? And I said, well, it's kind of on her and maybe it's over here and he went this is a minute and a half of reading where do you, what do you think the audience is going to be doing when that's going on and it was such an interesting moment for me because I suddenly realized I was still still thinking like a writer yeah. not a screenwriter and so now when I adapt stuff I'm always thinking where is the camera what is the audience doing at this point and it was it's been very valuable being on set for things as well because you learn how movement changes an audience's reaction to what is said which is why, you know, you probably find a lot of action movies, it doesn't really matter what the script is because people are too busy going, ah, dinosaurs, explosions, rah. Whereas if you actually have, so for example, Will, who, who couldn't move from the head down, you have to make sure that everything he says is perfectly formed because the audience has nowhere to go except for his face. I, I cannot wait for your uh, dinosaurs explosion book next <laughs> <laughs> that's next yeah I can't wait for my dinosaurs explosion book either <laughs> your audience will be slightly surprised I get a feeling <laughs> have you yeah. seen any good films lately it's much harder to remember things that you don't see on the big screen yeah very is that well. just me no 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 it's been like did this last year happen I couldn't you know if I've seen them at home they don't count I love Minari that was yeah. a a lovely film and I loved Nomadland those were the two I guess that have stayed with me most but in both, I was so conscious that I needed to see them on a big screen mm. to get the full 
impact. But like everybody, I've done a lot of streaming. Do you watch year. a lot? Do you watch telly? Do I watch telly? Yeah, like high end, uh, telly, like, like Big Little Lies, for example, which you're. you're oh God, you're, I loved Big Little Lies, um, and you know I, I'm such a huge fan of Shailene. So when she was attached to the film, I was very excited. I think the thing that really blew me away most recently was Time, um, the Sean Bean, you know, prison. Oh, with Stephen, with Stephen Gray. I, I just yeah. saw five minutes of it and thought, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> so I haven't gone back into it, it. It's worth the journey. It's worth the journey. It is an absolute perfect piece of television. It really is. And is I, I, I was yeah. reluctant to watch it as well for exactly those reasons. I thought I'd been, I'd been in prison for a year. I didn't, didn't yeah. know before. Yes. It looks a bit tough in there. <laughs> yeah. Is there, a, is there a film that changed your life? I don't know if you're a massive movie fan, but I still read your books and they're so romantic. I, I'm thinking there's a film that went that really kind of seeped into you. I can tell you the film that changed my life. And I don't know if it's what you think it's going to be, but it's The Black Stallion by Francis Ford Coppola. And I think it's something about achieving something against the odds, but also the cinematography for that film was so beautiful. I don't know if you remember it, the first kind of 40% of the film. It was when just, we were about 12 or something like this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's just a boy stuck on a desert island mm. with a horse. And so there's no dialogue. It's just the horse and the boy. And it's so beautifully done. And it was so radical at the time. I remember it was, the, I remember reading a Sunday Times article when I was about 12 about how it was one of the first uses of underwater cameras. But also there's a final race scene where he did something so interesting with the final race scene where he took all the soundtrack away. So you just get silence and hoofbeats and then a slow build of a kind of low hum. I mean, I think these are effects that get used a lot now, you know, almost sound design that goes beyond normal music to kind of get you on a visceral level. But it's, to me, it's, it, I know it's thought of as a child's movie, but I never get tired of it. Terry Garr is in it, who I think is one of the greatest screen actresses Gar. ever. Yeah. Um, but great but choice. No one's ever chosen that on the show before. Actually. I'm sure they haven't. And I, but, and, but, and, but there aren't many films, like you've got children as well. You know yeah. how hard it is to find a film that can unite the whole family these yeah. days, you know, that isn't a cartoon, you know, to, and yeah. they don't make Black Stallions anymore. No, they don't. And I, it's, it's, I, I just, it stayed with me and I probably watch it about twice a year. My, my children, are, who are pretty well adult now, are entirely sick of it. I've actually started make. I made a 26-year-old friend watch it the other week and luckily she was hungover and pliant. But I just think, <laughs> <laughs> it's the, I just think it's a really beautiful piece of filmmaking. If you want to believe in magic, in beauty, in friendship, and freedom. Believe in the Black Stallion. The biggest, and the blackest, and the strongest, the most beautiful horse that ever was. Francis Ford Coppola presents Walter Farley's timeless classic, Whose Time Has Come, The Black Stallion. The story of a legendary horse who could only be tamed by a young boy's love. Did you watch any films for Last Letters, are, are your books sometimes based on films? You said you watched some for, for me before you. No, uh, I think with Last Letter, when I wrote the original story, I wanted it to have the feel of the kind of movie you would sit down and watch on a Sunday afternoon, yeah. like from the 1940s and 50s, that kind of snuggle up under a blanket, box of tissues, cup of tea. So most of my stories are about something else, but with love running through them. This is the only story I've ever written that has been just purely and unabashedly and unironically about love. 
and I kind of went for it. And what was lovely for me was that Augustine Frizzell, the director, she read it and the first meeting we had, she was like, I need to go all in. And she's kind of an all in person as well. I don't know if you've spoken to her, but- No, I know her I husband, but I didn't know her. It actually reflects her and her husband's story because they wrote to each other long before they finally got together, which is, and they sent each other gifts and items and things that meant something. And so I can see now why it really spoke to her, but she has just approached it in an absolute full-blooded, let's just not mess around. There's no nudges to camera. There's no nods and winks. This is just a kind of old fashioned sweeping romance. And do, do and you, do you haven't like, you know, it's be, it'll be compared, because they've got two bits, I suppose, as well. Yeah. So they'll be compared to, I don't know, like the Casablancas that you, uh, that you mentioned, or the oh, To God, Catch a Thief. Only. I was thinking to Catch a Thief with the, with the Riviera thing going on. I was thinking a bit Grace Kelly kind of thing. Well, it is interesting. It's much easier to write romantic stories about a prior age because you didn't have mobile phones and you didn't have booty calls and you didn't have instant gratification. You know, now if you want to see somebody, you just contact them in any one of a dozen ways or you get an Uber around to their house. You know, in the old days, there was a kind of restraint and a societal series of obstacles that made that kind of love impossible. And, and the key to writing any good love story, I think, is is the obstacles that are in the path of the couple. And I think as, as we find it harder to maintain or create modern day obstacles, because there are none, there's no shame, there's no disapproval, there's no, or very little, there's nothing that can't be got over. Um, I think really the obstacles in, in modern day romances tend to be in people's heads. You know, it's our own inability to commit or it's our own inability to get over ourselves or, mm. or let go or whatever. What Do you have romantic movies then that, you, that are among your favourites? Oh, I'm going to be just really boring and say When Harry Met Sally. Um, that's my favourite rom-com. I just think I can pick parts of it apart again and again and again because every line is a zinger. You know, most people can probably name half a dozen lines from that movie but I think for a kind of less comedic version uh, Wong Kar Wai is in the mood for love just gets me I I only have to hear that soundtrack and something just quivers in here it's just aching it's an achingly beautiful film It's such a beautiful film. It's unrequited, and yet it's not. And then it's gorgeous. I haven't. I don't have a Chong Sam, but I was after that. I always thought I. <laughs> I'm sure you'd one. look lovely in it. I would, wouldn't I? I? Look forward to the Instagram picture. <laughs> I actually, wax my legs before going in. They don't show much leg. It's just the ankle. What about what about a musical number, Jojo? Do you have a favourite musical moment in any movie? Oh, I think in this movie, um, it's the Nancy Sinatra "Summer Wine." I just think it's the perfect uh, marrying of image and sound. Uh, it's, it's basically a kind of dialogue-free scene where Jennifer Sterling comes down the beach and spies Anthony O'Hare 
relaxing on the beach, but in a very kind of stiff way in his suit where he should be wearing kind of, you know, trunks and t-shirts. But there's just something about the camera, the way it moves and the music. It's just, I defy anybody to come out of that and not find themselves humming it. I think that's Did, the did, did you pick the track? Did, is that in the book? No, no, that's one of Augustine's Ooh. own things. And that's the lovely thing when the adaptation goes well. I think a director brings a whole new set of elements to your story. I think we've all heard the stories when writers think that stuff has been taken away, but it's easy to forget that sometimes it can add something too. And I think Augustine managed to do that. Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine is really made from all these things. Take off your silver spurs and if I could give you the power of time travel, which you have right. in your book anyway, and you do yeah. have it in your minute, and I could take you to any film set being made, like ever at any point, where would you like to go? Which set would you visit? I think I would like to go to To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck just because I think that's such a perfect piece of filmmaking and kind of astonishing for the age in which it was produced. And it's so heavy with mood and a sense of place and that looming sense of unease. And he's just so gorgeous in it. I actually you know, chose never to read the sequel because someone told me that the Atticus character goes wrong in the in the next book he and I thought, he's I, morally correct yes and it's Gregory Peck and he's so beautiful and so good and flawed and just trying in the face of insurmountable odds I just I would have loved to be there and watch that film be put together I think it would be amazing Mr. Ewell yeah uh, I'm real sorry they picked you to defend that nigger that raped my male I don't know why I didn't kill him myself instead of going to the sheriff well, it saved you and the sheriff and the taxpayers lots of trouble. Excuse me, Mr. Ewell, I'm very busy. Hey, Captain, uh, somebody told me just now that uh, they thought that you believed Tom Robson's story again, Iron. You know what I said? <laughs> I said you wrong, man. You dead wrong. Mr. Finch ain't taking this story against Iron. Well, they was wrong, wasn't they? I've been appointed to defend Tom Robinson. Now that he's been charged, that's what I intend to do. You've taken his to Excuse me, Mr. Ewell. I mean, you talked about the, the, the stallion before. What, what's, do you have a, 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 a sort of favourite location that you've ever seen in a film or one that, 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 that's transported you and enabled you to kind of dream? I think it is that desert island from um, The Black Stallion. I ended up writing a book at, at one point called The Horse Dancer, which has a scene where a girl escapes a situation on a horse and travels across France. And so the, the mental image was child, horse, urban landscape, just the wrong place for the child and the horse to be in, but this epic journey. And I'm pretty sure you can draw a direct thread from my kind of 12-year-old self watching The Black Stallion or eight-year-old self or whatever I was, all the way to writing that book yeah. 30 years later. What about Paris? That's what you, you did uh, letters from Paris, didn't you, as well? Oh, I've done, yeah, yeah I, I didn't realise there's a whole Paris thing. I, I realise the themes that keep coming up in my books are horses, 
librarians and Paris. <laughs> so if I tie those three together, that could be a really interesting <laughs> next story. Um, no, I, I, I'm such a Francophile and I spent many years going backwards and forwards between here and Paris. And yeah, I know everybody says it's kind of Disneyfied in the centre and that it's not the real Paris. Uh, you know, I watch Spiral if I want to watch the real Paris. I just, I do think there's a place for... Well, Les Miserables, have you seen that? The, 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 the French one? Which one? one? Les Miserables, not the, not the Victor Hugo one, but the La Jolie and Les Miserables. Very oh, tough. Oh, no, I uh, haven't. Sort of inheritor of La N, kind of urban okay. French drama. Jojo oh, Moyes. When... May I recommend this to you? I will. Yeah, I will make a note of this as soon as this interview finishes now, because I, I love, I think France is turning out really interesting. And so one of the films I really loved recently was a French film called I Got Life. And it's a sort of menopause comedy. Is <laughs> um, it with Juliette Binoche? No, uh, it is a, an actress I hadn't heard of. And it's also the male lead is the man from... Uh, this person, um, oh. call my agent. He's yeah, the guy yeah, yeah, who has course. an affair with his assistant. And I can't remember, it's called I Got Life. And it was a really lovely, funny, heartwarming story about tentative romance in your 50s in Paris. And it's it's just got some very funny scenes and she's wonderful in it. And I just wanted a bit of something Ooh. heartwarming and it was perfect lockdown fair. You found this one. I don't know if I, I, think, I think you found one that I didn't see. Yes, I've been ahead of Jason Solomon's. Yes. It's Annie Jaoui. Oh, I love Annie Jaoui. Oh, watch it and tell me what you think. Yeah, well, only if you go, well, oh yeah, Thibaut de Montalembert. That's the guy. That's from it. The, that's the guy from the Deep Poisson, yeah. Oh, I, I've missed this one. I do love her. I do love her work. Right, well, you watch Les Miserables. I'll watch I Got Okay. All right. So yeah. I'll feel thoroughly depressed and you'll feel completely uplifted. Yeah, exactly. That's how it should be with your 38 million copies. Jojo Moyes, beautiful to see you. Missed you so Thank much. You. Lovely to see you. Can see it's you so lovely so to see you. Looking so well. And um, yeah, I hope we get to meet in an actual face-to-face -face oh, meeting. Oh, God, yeah. Nice to, to see you, Jojo. And the last letter from your lover is in cinemas from August the 6th and then on Netflix. OK, two more very strong recommends from me for your further watching pleasure on Seen Any Good Films Lately. Night of the Kings is amazing new African cinema by Philip Lacout. It's set in the Ivory Coast's La Maca prison, where a new inmate called Roman must keep telling his embellished stories to stay alive and assuage the wrath of the ailing jail kingpin Barbe Noir. It's told in a series of stories and actions that are acted out by the other prisoners, a tempestuous mix of performance and mythology set under a glaring red moon. Watch out too for French icon Denis Lavant in one of the most thrilling films of the summer. Peuple de la Maga! Un innocent en prison. <rire> si t'as mis ici là-haut, bas bien. Nous sommes tous coupables. Et avant l'homme qui a dansé, vous venez ici. Kavacha! I'm actually showing Night of the Kings at the Green Man Festival in Wales between August 19 and the 22nd, and I could not be happier to screen it there. It's a perfect setting for Night of the Kings. 
I'm actually very proud of the whole programme I've assembled for the Cinedrome at the festival at Green Man. So if you can still get tickets, do pop in and see us there between their great musical lineup. I don't know how I'm going to pull you away from such fabulous lineup like Caribou and Cocoroco and Steam Down. But I've got Jazz on a Summer's Day, one of my favourite documentaries on a preview. I've got Mark Cousins is the story of looking. No one's seen that apart from those at Sheffield Dockfest. I've got music docs like Polystyrene, I'm Not a Cliche, and Crock of Gold with Julie Temple's film about Shane McGowan. I got the Welsh thriller The Toll with a Q&A with some of its stars uh, including Ewan Rion and I got previews of British and Irish films Sweetheart and Wildfire alongside some favourites and something for all the family in the mornings. If you can't get to the green man well then the next best thing to remind you of is my seen any good films lately film of the year so far. Summer of Soul. Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe that happened. Six weekends of major artists. The Panthers were the security and kids were sitting up on the trees. I was nervous. I didn't expect a crowd like that. Something very important was happening. It wasn't just about the music. 1969 was a change of era in the black community. The styles were changing. Music was changing. And revolution was coming together. We are a new people. We are a beautiful people. I've talked about this before. Just to remind you, it's set over a series of summer concerts in Harlem in 1969. The Black Woodstock that was pushed off the front pages or any pages written out of history uh, because of the actual Woodstock that was going on in a muddy field about 100 miles upstate. I can't emphasise how well put together Summer of Soul is with historical and cultural and political and musical context. And it's also thrilling and informative, directed by Questlove and featuring some outstanding, never-before-seen performances from Stevie Wonder, just when he was getting on that funk tip, moving from Motown into the sort of jazz-funk era Stevie. Uh, Nina Simone singing Young, Gifted and Black. You've got David Ruffin, you got Sly and the Family Stone, fantastic performance from them. Mahalia Jackson, uh, who actually also features in Jazz on a Summer's Day. Uh, Fifth Dimension, oh, I tell you, it's so, so good. So, yes, I've seen many good films lately. I hope you enjoy and take up the recommendations you've heard on today's show. And I hope you enjoyed my interview with the excellent Jojo Moyes to celebrate the last letter from your lover. I've got a festival to prepare for, so I'll get my wellies and my tent ready. Actually, I'm staying off-site. Who am I kidding? You know me. I'm not doing the mud. I'm staying in a cottage. So I'll leave you for now, but not for long. I'm back with a huge exclusive interview next week. It's so big, I can't even tell you who it is. But I'll see you then. Ta-da. Ta-da.